Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Hey everybody, so the first thing I want to say is whenever you are watching this, wherever you are watching this, I am just so honored and privileged that you would join with us today. You know, we're in this series called Revival. And I guess if you ask me why we called it Revival, I would give you two main reasons. The first one is this. I got really annoyed after a while when I was continually listening to commentators say something like this. Hey, I know it's 2021 and 2020 was a tough year, but don't expect us to go back to normal. We're never going back to normal. The best that we can hope for is a new normal. And it actually seemed like a really dismal way to paint the picture. It got me thinking that as a culture, we're kind of living in this nostalgic state. You know, like when you talk to a middle-aged uncle, he's 45 years old and he's still talking about the fact that if it wasn't for the fact that his middle school basketball coach was so mean, he would have made the NBA. Or you know what? If I wouldn't have blown my knee out in peewee hockey, I would have made the NHL. And when you hear your uncle say that, there's something about that that annoys you. And I would suggest to you that that annoyance is actually proper. It's not just, oh, that guy is annoying. There's something about that that's wrong. Well, let me tell you what's wrong about it. That as a Christ follower, as a Christian, there are certain emotions, there are certain attitudes that are not available to me. Nostalgia is one. Looking back at the good old days, thinking that the best days are behind us. That's not available to me. The second is despair. The third is kind of this shrug your shoulders defeatism or fatalism. Those are not available to me. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to say in Philippians 3.13, one thing I do, just one thing, forget what's behind me and look forward to what's ahead of me. And, And that's why Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, said, pray this way, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we never stop working towards the best days. We never stop praying for revival. We never stop leaning in to what's next. And that's the attitude that we want to carry with us, a revived attitude. And the second reason we called this series revival is because there's a revival coming. If you want to read about it, you can read all about the revival that's coming back in Ezekiel chapter 37 in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's a section called the Valley of Dry Bones. It's amazing. I actually recommend that you take some time this week to read it. But suffice it to say this, that we have people all over our world today who are dried out by despair and discouragement. And what they need is they need a soul level refreshment. And you know what? God can do that. We have people all over our world today who have had the wind knocked out of their sails over these last 12 months. And they need the breath of life breathed into them. And God can do that. And we have people all over our world today who feel like they're down and out. They're flat on their back and they can't get up. They need someone to lift them back up onto their feet. And you know what? God can, God will do that. There's a revival coming. And here's what I believe. I believe that I'm going to position myself right in the middle of it. I believe that we as a church are going to position ourselves right in the middle of it. And that's why we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, I talked about the fact that we got to get rid of this concept of God as a cosmic killjoy, that he's just out there to wreck our fun. It's amazing, you know, like you read back in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, chapter 19, 
it says this, that God's laws, God's decrees and God's commands are sweeter than honey, that they refresh the soul, that they're actually radiant. In other words, what I want to suggest to you is that when God invites you to trust him enough to actually do what he tells you to do, he wants to show up and show off in your life. See, the first thing he wants to do is show up in your life. He wants to revive you. He wants to bring revival into your soul. And then he wants to show off through your life that the world will look and go, okay, that's a little bit of what it looks like. And the last week we talked about the fact that Jesus says that we need to be the salt of the earth and we need to be the light of the world. And we need to collectively become a city on a hill that helps lost people become found. And and the challenge is, is maybe today you're not feeling very flavorful. You're not feeling very radiant. We're not feeling very much like a city on a hill after the last 12 months that we've walked through. And that's okay because we're going to pray and we're going to ask Jesus to restore us, to bring revival first to us so that he can bring it through us. And today I want to continue on that theme. And I want to talk about what does revival actually look like? Because the thing is, I think when we think of this concept of revival, it can seem really big to us, overwhelming, like beyond our ability to even comprehend. And you know what? It actually is to to one degree. Like if we go up to a 30,000 foot level and we see history actually being shaped and moved, it's amazing. And we can't really get our mind around it. But if we come down to ground level, which is where you and I live, if we come down to ground level, it's actually little things, just little things, little things that change everything. That's revival. And I want to tell you today, I want to show you today what it actually looks like from ground level. And to do that, I want to go back to the story of nine-year-old Mike Manis. And the last time we left nine-year-old Mike Manis, he was actually sitting in a classroom and he was watching all the buses pull out of the River Glen Elementary School parking lot and head to a field trip in Fort Calgary. 98 grade four students went, two students stayed behind, Aiden and me. And there was a little bit of a defining moment for me as a nine-year-old kid. I went from this concept of thinking, man, I'm a good kid who struggles, to all of a sudden thinking, no, actually, I'm bad at life. I'm deeply flawed and I'm lost. And as I stepped into the summer between grade four and five, I kind of carried that attitude with me. And there was little that happened that summer that convinced me otherwise. You know, like all the kids on the bus who enjoyed bullying me during the school year decided it was so fun during the school year that they would continue it during that summer. And so they spent the whole summer trying to chase me down and beat me up. I remember there'd be times I'd be riding my bike home from my best buddy Grant's house and they'd see me and they'd start to chase me and my feet would be flying on those pedals. I'd be riding my bike and my heart would be pounding and my adrenaline would be coursing through my veins and I would get home and I would run into the house and they would stand on the edge of my driveway. And they would call me to come back out. They would call me names. They would threaten me. And a couple of times my mom walked out there, you know, all five foot three of her. And she went out and, and, and I was just amazed at how she put those kids in their place and how courageous and how tough she was. And I was surprised that I wasn't more courageous and I wasn't more tough. You know, during that summer, I also began to get this concept that I don't really do things well. I don't do things right. Like I remember my parents sometimes would ask me to do something and and it was shocking because I don't think I ever really did a good job. And I was thinking this week, like, was I subconsciously just doing a bad job so I didn't have to do anything? Or was I just unable to focus? I don't know what it was, but I started noticing that summer that a lot of the the things that I was supposed to do, I would look and, and they would have to do them again after I was finished. And it just kind of reaffirmed in me this concept. I'm bad at life. I'm deeply flawed and I'm lost. 
And I remember like the, the crowning achievement of the whole summer. The, the, the most Mike Manis way that I ever could have ended this summer going into grade five was this time that our family went out to visit some friends of my mom and dad's. And the guy was a welder and he was restoring this old vintage 1950s pickup truck. And so him and my dad and me were walking around his property out in the country in Alberta. And he showed us the truck and I was just like, whoa, that truck is so amazing, you know? And so eventually my dad and this guy, they walked away, they walked around a building, but I was just mesmerized by this truck. So I jumped in and I closed the door behind me. And I'm sitting on this, I'm nine years old. I'm just pretending to steer and, 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 and hopping up and down on the seat. And as I'm doing that, all of a sudden I notice a wasp kind of flies in front of my vision. That was really no big deal. At that point in my life, I was not scared of wasps. But then another one and another one and another one and another one. And next thing I know, the whole cab of that truck is full of wasps. There was a wasp, there was a wasp nest in the seat. And I got to get out of there, right? So I go to look for the door handle, but in the process of restoring this old truck, he had removed the door handles from the inside. I couldn't get out of the truck. So I'm in there with a wasp nest. And I don't know how long I was in there until my dad and his buddy walked back around the building, but it was bad. I was like stung all over the place. But I think what stung the most for me was this thought that this was just a perfect reaffirmation of the fact that I'm bad at life, I'm deeply flawed, and I'm lost. And I was just disappointed in myself. I was disappointed with the things that I did. I was disappointed with the things that I couldn't do. I was just disappointed in me. And I know it sounds odd, right? Think about this. I'm talking about a nine-year-old kid here. <laughs> Sorry. You, you, you look at that nine-year-old kid, and, and even for me, I want to go back and go, Mike, it's okay, man. Like, your track record isn't great, but you got a lot, a lot, a lot of track to turn it around still. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disappointed. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about you. Because I think there's a lot of nine-year-olds out there. I think there's a lot of 15-year-olds out there. I think there's a lot of 45-year-olds out there. I think there's a lot of 65-year-olds out there. I think there's a lot of 79-year-olds out there. And you become convinced that somehow that that track behind you defines you and that there's nothing you can do to turn things around. And it might seem impossible to you. I needed to tell you today that what seems impossible to you is possible for God. There's still time. You can still turn it around. Do not be discouraged. Do not be disappointed. But for me at nine years old, I was. Like for me at nine years old, I kind of thought, this is who I am. I'm bad at life. I'm deeply flawed. I'm lost and I'm a disappointment. So that's how I walked into grade five. And my grade five teacher was this lady named Mrs. Bass. And I actually really liked her for a few reasons. Number one, she was just charismatic. She was one of these teachers. I don't know if you ever had a teacher like this. She never had to raise her voice, but everyone listened. She just had that it factor. Number two, she started reading us this book called The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe out loud. And I just loved it. I had been reading all throughout my childhood, but to me, that was the best book that I'd ever heard. But the third and most important reason why I loved Mrs. Bass is that she was new to River Glen Elementary School in Red Deer, Alberta. She was new. She was new. Do you get what that means? She didn't know me. She didn't know my track record. She didn't know that I was the kid that from the first day of grade one was considered a behavior problem who couldn't sit still, who couldn't pay attention. She didn't know that I was the kid who broke Darcy Kavanaugh's lunch kit. She didn't know that I was a kid that could not go to the Fort Calgary field trip. So I looked at this and I thought, man, I get a clean, a clean slate and a fresh start because honestly for you and me, isn't that what we all want? And so I remember the third day of school 
at lunch hour, we all had to run laps. To this day, I have no idea why we had to run laps. Like, I, I don't think it was anything that we did wrong. It was just, today everyone's going to run laps. But anyways, we did it. So we're running laps, I'm running laps, I'm flying around the track. And at one point, Mrs. Bass was walking on the inside of the track. I came running past her on the outside of the track and she grabbed my arm. And she stopped me, just about gave me whiplash. And I looked up at her and she said, I've heard all about you, Mike Manis. And for me in that moment, my little nine-year-old heart broke. No more clean slate. No more fresh start. She knows all about me. She knows that I'm bad at life, deeply flawed, lost, and a disappointment. So I was just devastated, you know? So she's looking at me and she says, I've heard all about you, Mike Mattis. They told me that you were trouble and that you were going to be causing me trouble. But I've been watching you and I don't believe a word of it. I see an amazing young man who could do anything he set his mind to. If you want to know what revival looks like from ground level, that's it. That's what it looks like. So I wonder if Mrs. Bass went home that night knowing that she just saved a little boy's life. You say, well, that's a bit of an overstatement, Mike. She saved my hope. And without hope, there is no future. I'm not, I'm not completely sure of this, but I think Mrs. Bass might be the first adult other than my parents who ever said anything positive to me. <laughs> It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Like the life of a parent is really, really tough. Because I know for me, I've always tried as a parent. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Sometimes I fail, but I've tried as a parent to be someone who speaks life to my kids, you know, who catches them doing something good instead of always looking for them to do something bad. And, and I say that to parents, man, let's be encouraging. Let's speak life. Let's speak hope. Let's speak uh, light to our kids. And it's so important. But I want to tell you something, nine-year-old Mike Manis, when I looked at that, there was part of me that thought, well, that's just my parents, you know? It's kind of their job. Of course, they're going to say something nice to me. And there's something so profound about having Mrs. Bass say that when she did. And it got me thinking about you. See, we're slowly, slowly, slowly transitioning back to in-person services. Man, I cannot wait. I want to continue to do this online and do an incredible job reaching out to everybody online, but I'm stoked to fill this place up too. And along the process of going back to in-person services, you're going to be tapped on the shoulder most likely. And you're going to be asked, hey, would you be willing to volunteer with Southside Kids? Would you be willing to uh, become a Southside Youth Leader? W would you be willing to help out? And see, here's why I think you should. I think you could save a life in a moment. I think you could be part of a ground level revival, a seemingly little thing that changes everything. See, I think it really, really matters. Just like that moment for me, you know, for years, that moment stuck with me. I remember being 14, 15 years old, riding that same school bus. By the time I was 14 and 15, I wasn't getting bullied anymore, but sometimes I would just sit on the bus and I'd be bored. My buddy Grant, wasn't riding the bus that day for some reason. And when there was silence and when there was boredom, for me, all those thoughts kept coming back. You're bad at life. You're deeply flawed. You're lost. You're a disappointment. And I hated that. And sometimes I would put my head 
against the glass of the window on the bus. And I would bring myself back to that moment, nine years old at Riverglade Elementary School and Mrs. Bass saying those words. I don't believe a word of it. I've been watching you and I see an amazing young man who could do anything he set his mind to. And for me, that was just a sliver, just a sliver, just a sliver of hope. There's one moment that really, really stands out to me. I was 18 years old. By this time, I'm attending Red Deer College. 18-year-old Mike Manis um, was not really recognizable compared to nine-year-old Mike Manis. By the time I was 18 years old, I had honed my image to a T. I was a popular kid. I got a lot of admiration from guys. I got a lot of attention from girls. I was tough and I was feared. And if you would have met me back then, you would have thought that kid is completely arrogant. And what's weird is that's exactly what I wanted you to think. That was part of the image. But I remember one particular night, it's about 10 p.m. And I'm sitting there in a, a little study lounge just off the main ha- hallway at Red Deer College all by myself. I got my Sony sports walk when I'm listening to U2 rattle and hum. And all those old thoughts came back. You're bad at life. You're deeply flawed. You're lost and you're a disappointment. Except at this point in my life, you know what got added onto it for me? Anxiety. Because if you had asked nine-year-old Mike Manis, if you had asked 14-year-old Mike Manis, if you had asked 15-year-old Mike Manis, what is everything that you could do to make sure that you never feel those things again? I did them. Every single one of them. And I still felt that way and I was starting to panic. And I also felt real lonely, you know? Because I told you I had honed my image to a T. I don't think anybody knew who I was. And so, you know, now you add all of that to this feeling of being alone. And I just remember putting my head on that desk in that study hall at Red Deer College. And I went back to that moment, nine years old, running on a track, River Glen Elementary School, Red Deer, Alberta. I see an amazing young man who could do anything he set his mind to. And there was tears running down my face. And I thought to myself, maybe, maybe, maybe it's true. And that brings me to you right here and right now. See, I wonder, are you somebody who has honed your image to a T? Like you get, you get a lot of admiration. You get a lot of attention. You're feared. You're successful. You're a winner. But somewhere deep down inside, you keep wondering to yourself, why isn't it working? Why do I still have all those feelings of self-doubt? Why do I have all those feelings of discouragement still? Or maybe you look back and you wonder, you know, why, why can't I do anything right? Like, why does it seem like every time I try to do something, I never do it right? Maybe you feel disappointed in you. Maybe you feel bullied. Like maybe there's actually people in your life who wish you ill. But more, more likely even than that is the fact that you have some spiritual, emotional bullies in your life. Anxiety, depression, despair. Or maybe you've just made some mistakes. You've sat on some wasp's nest and somewhere along the line, you've decided, man, someone who is worthwhile, someone who, who should be successful, man, the one thing they don't do is make that mistake. And I feel like just in a little way, I want to relive that moment for me at nine years old on the track because I want to speak some encouragement 
I want to speak a word of revival to your soul right now. In fact, what I want to do is I want to go to the author of revival and let him speak. So I want to tell you a story. It happened about 2000 years ago. See, there was these shepherds and they were keeping watch over their flocks by night near this town called Bethlehem. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter two. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly God's angel stood among them and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody. Worldwide, a savior has just been born in David's town, a savior who is Messiah and master. This is what you're to look for, a baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. See, the truth is, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done and I don't know what's been done to you. But there's one thing I know about you for sure. I know that you and me have something in common. We both come from a royal lineage. We're part of this amazing, incredible, miraculous group called everybody. And the good news of Jesus is for everybody. It's for you and it's for me. And I feel like Jesus is the author of revival. And I really feel like he wants to speak revival to your soul right now. That if you're feeling lost right now, I feel like Jesus wants you to know that he's never lost track of you. That if you've given up on you, I feel like Jesus wants you to know that he's never given up on you and he never will. That if you feel uh, disillusioned with you, I need you to know that God does not feel disillusioned with you and he never will. If you feel like your best days are behind you, I feel like Jesus wants to tell you right now that the best is still yet to come. See, Jesus Christ, the son of God, stepped into human history as a baby in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. And then he grew up and he died and he rose again. And if you were the only one in human history who needed to be rescued, he would have done it all for you. And I feel like what he wants me to say to you, you remember that story that Mrs. Bass looked at me and she said, and I don't believe a word of what they said. See, I think Jesus wants you to know that he doesn't believe a word of it. He doesn't believe a word of the lies that your spiritual enemy, the devil is speaking about you. He doesn't believe a word of the labels that have been placed on you through the trauma of life. He doesn't believe a word, the lies that you tell you about you. He doesn't believe a word of it. He believes you're beautiful. He believes you're lovable. He believes you're worth dying for. He believes that the best days are still in front of you. He wants to speak revival to you. And even as I say that, there's a part of me that knows this that much like the lot of a parent is the lot of a preacher. That as some kids look at their parents and say, well, that's just their job. My concern is that maybe you're looking at me as a preacher today and you're saying, well, that's just your job. And nothing can be further from the truth. But no matter where you are or when you're watching this, I want to pray for you right now. Because I want to pray that this word of revival isn't just words from a preacher, that it's words from Jesus to your soul. So let's pray. Jesus, I speak revival. I speak life. I speak hope. Jesus, I pray that you would silence the lies of the enemy, that you would silence the lies that we tell ourselves, that you would silence the lies of the labels that life has placed on us.
and that we would understand today completely that the soul level, we would understand a word of revival like we've never understood it before that you have not given up on us and you never will. You have not lost track of us and you never will. And our best days, our best days are still yet to come. Give us revival, God, to every heart, to every soul right now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, for years, I, I tried to track down Mrs. Bass to say thank you. Because the truth is, at nine years old, I, don't, I, I, I didn't say thanks. I didn't say anything. She just said, you can do anything you set your mind to. And probably just ripped my hand away and kept running. <laughs> but I just wanted to say thanks. But for years and years and years, I tried to track her down and I could never get a hold of her. And then out of the blue, in 2020, one of my former class classmates from River Glen reached out to me and she said, I have Mrs. Bass's number. It's funny. I had that number for about two weeks before I made the call. I was kind of nervous about it. But eventually I called her. And when I talked to Mrs. Bass, the first thing that kind of struck me was she was older than I remembered her. Like to me, I, I, I kind of froze her in that moment. You know what I mean? And the second thing that I noticed is that she did not remember me. And that's okay. She had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students in her life. She didn't remember me. But the third thing that wasn't okay to me was that she didn't believe me. She said something along these lines. I was not the kind of teacher that inspired any students that way. Now that was a problem for me. So I set about, it was a, such an interesting phone call. I set about proving to Mrs. Bass that I was telling the truth. And so I talked about, I went through all these different classmates until she recognized a few. I went through all the other teachers that were at the school at the same time until she recognized some of them. I talked about some of the landmarks around River Glen. I, I talked about that day when we had to run and I still don't know why they made us run. And you know what's amazing is somewhere near the end of the conversation, she sort of remembered and she completely believed me. And she got pretty quiet. And near the very end, she said, Reverend Mike Manis, <laughs> Reverend Mike Manis, you've just made my day. And I think I'm going to start to cry. You want to know what revival looks like on the ground level? It looks a little bit like that. Little things, little things, little things that change everything. So you know what I'm going to say now. You know that you were created in the image of God, right? And that God spoke the universe into existence. God said, let there be light and let there be life. So why don't you do the same? Let there be light and let there be life. Call out the light in others. Call out the life in others. After, you, after you've allowed God to fill you with revival, to revive your soul, speak that revival to others. It'll change everything, one life, one story at a time. And secondly, if you have someone in your life that you can look back at a year, two years, 40 years ago, who made a difference in your life, who spoke words of encouragement to you, why don't you reach out? Why don't you track him down? Why don't you say thanks? And as I close today, man, I just want to tell you, I want to bring you good tidings of great joy that are going to be for all people, for everybody. 2,000 years ago, in the town of David, a Savior was born who is Christ the Lord. And because he lived, and because he died, and because he rose again, we have revival. And the first step for you, 
the first step for all of us to step into that revival of Jesus is just to take hold of the gift that he purchased for us on the cross, a clean slate, a fresh start. Isn't that what we all want? And the promise that because he rose again, that he defeated defeats, the best is always yet to come. So if you've never taken that step, if you've never accepted that gift that Jesus gave to you through his death and his resurrection, man, I want to give you the chance to do that whenever you're watching, wherever you're watching right now. So I'm going to pray out loud. Why don't you join me as I pray? Dear Jesus, thank you that you've never given up on me and you never will that you've never lost track of me and you never will. Thank you that you stepped into history to rescue me. So today, Jesus, I ask you to be my savior. I pray that you would forgive my sins and give me a clean slate and a fresh start. I leave my baggage behind me. And Jesus, I ask you today to also be my Lord. That you would give me the strength to follow you into a time of revival, one next step at a time. I love you and I thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Man, if, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I honestly am so excited. There's a revival coming and you're a huge part of it. God loves you so much. Man, your story is going to be so great. I can't wait to play a tiny, tiny little part in it. Hey, one of the ways that we can help you is if you would just take a second right now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time to text the keyword life to 604-670-3040. We don't want to stalk you, but we do want to support you. And for everybody else, I just want to tell you there's a revival coming. There's a revival coming. Read it. Ezekiel 37. Read all about it. And here's how it's going to work. He's going to speak revival to my soul. He's going to speak revival to your soul. And then he's going to show off through our lives, man. We're going to be right in the middle of it. I'm so excited. So here's your next step. Here's your next step. Okay. After you've encouraged people this week, after you've thanked people for encouraging you, set an alarm, set a reminder. Let's get back together here next week. And let's pray, God, would you show up? Would you show off? Would you bring revival in us and through us? And I'm so excited Let's do this. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.